You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode. We got a really special one for you. We have the return of Larry Hankin is here today. Hi, Larry. How you doing? How good you doing, you Mike? Back. How you doing, Michael? Mike and Michael. Okay, cool. It is good to have you, and it's been a while, about a, a little over a year since we spoke with you last. And about fucking time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> we, we love you though, dude, and we we're so. Happy I don't know. To have Our people back. called your people. I, you know, it takes these things take time. You know, they said they'd do lunch together, and they never got back to us. If if you if you do it too soon after the first time, then people get tired. And well, I, I saw him last week. Uh, we don't have to watch. But now, a year later, when the tension is at its highest, boom. There you go. Boom. How have you been, Larry? Good to see you. Uh, well, in the year, I, you know, uh, it's it's been a weird year. It really has. Um, I don't know what's coming up next or what. You know, I'm writing this book and um, trying to keep busy. And I stopped acting for a while. and uh so yeah it's just a hit and miss every day i gotta make up a day yeah it's you know the hardest thing is being uh well i'm not out of work i just stopped working for a while i thought well i need a rest i need to just but when you stop working then what the heck do you do man it Mm -hmm. takes a little (laughs) while to first you know first you're lost and then you start very slowly building another life then when I get this life full, I'm going to have to go back and, you know, do the old life I left a year ago. It's weird. It's very weird. It's I'm, um, I'm coping. I'm coping. I'm coping. Yeah. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. Are you getting the acting bug a little bit again? Uh, yeah, I got this uh, friend of mine called me from Wisconsin, uh, from Wisconsin, and he, he said he's got a movie that he's writing and he wants me to be in it. And I said, okay, so... That's going to be during the summer, but it's a friend, see, and it's it's a cool, gotcha. it's a cool little part. I don't, you know, I don't have to bother. I can just so it's, but it's it's cool. So yeah, I'll get back. And then the, the book that I wrote uh, has in it. I made it. It's it's a story of my my show business life, and it's a cautionary tale. It's about all the. It's not all the great things. It's it's the screw ups and how things go weird or wrong or. You, you end up landing on your feet when you are about to fall off a building, uh, all that stuff. So it's it's not the upside; it's the weird side, the the, the screwy, funny side. Uh, that I could do on stage, the the, the book, um, because it's taken from my real life. I could just oh, talk. Right. So, so like a one man show kind of thing. So one man show, yeah. So so yeah, I do have the acting bug. It's just I gotta rearrange it and. You know, not work for other people, but just do it on my own. 
That, that's how I'm going to come back in. He said, After- down in the <laughs> <laughs> After all your time and experience, I think seven decades of working, yeah. um, does it do you do you even have to audition anymore? Well, sometimes no. It it, it depends on the tentpoliness of the movie. If it's you know huge movie with a big budget and a big star, then probably yeah, because then everybody, even even a co-star, would have to kind of audition or come in for a talk you come in for a talk mm-hmm. uh so yeah but if it's a small one or something on television i can make a demand i don't want to audition you either hire me or not all my work is like the audition you know yeah that's that's what that's what assume they... go ahead you were assuming that... no i was gonna say i assume they know who they get who they're getting when they get Lady Hankin, right? well no they don't they, huh? that's the that's the one thing because if you read if you read the book oh there's a commercial right there there you go if you read the book <laughs> you see you you see that because I write about sometimes uh, there are unexpected things I didn't audition and I come in and I have it a way of doing it my way and this stranger this stranger this director who hired me him he's the stranger and uh, he doesn't know. Well, there's many times when they say, we didn't know what the fuck you were doing, Larry, so we left you alone. <laughs> uh, I get that a lot, uh, where they go, well, why didn't you give me any direction? Did uh, were, you, were you mad at me or something? No, no, you. we didn't write it that way. I mean, this is like literally ver- verbatim. No, we didn't write it that way, but we didn't know what you were doing, so we just kept our hands off. We left you alone. We didn't know what you were doing. So it's kind of nice... That's a, that is a compliment, yes, but it's not a compliment while I'm doing it. Um, you feel lost. You feel why isn't he talking to me? Why is he giving everybody else direction and not me? I mean, one time I did a it's it's in the book. I won't tell you the story, but I I did a Hell's Angel. I, I acted in the character of a Hell's Angel, and the director mm-hmm. never came near me, man. All he would say was, "Well, stand over there." And a year later, I, you know, this was in the beginning when I wouldn't, I was too shy to ask a director, why didn't you talk to me? I I just left, you know, when I did my job, I went home. But a year later, when I had a little chops behind me and I met him at a party and I asked him, I said, well, you know, why didn't you talk to me when I was doing the Hell's Angel? He said, I thought they hired a Hell's Angel and I wasn't going to give you any direction. I didn't want to fight. So I just avoided you at all costs. I mean, like this guy, yeah. I mean, you were convincing. Well, I mean, again, it's a compliment, but while you're going through it, it's not a compliment. It's confusing. It's, why isn't he talking to me? Well, is he mad at me? Am I doing something wrong? What's going on? You know, because the person who are, because the, the people who you audition for are not the people you work for. Right, right. So you just show up and they don't know what the hell you did for the audition. And that's what I come in to do is what I did that got me the job. And they go, no, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, that was another thing I got, you know. Hey, uh, they, he said, look, uh, I was at the audition. This is what the director told me. This isn't in the book. He comes up to me. I'm sitting outside, you know, I auditioned. Now I'm going in for a second callback with a final audition. 
So I go to the final audition and there's the director. He was there for the first audition. So he knew what I did. And he comes out to the, where the waiting room is, where all the actors are waiting to go into the room. He comes out, he says, Larry, I want to talk to you. Okay, this is a good sign. He says, look, uh, you know, when you go in, I was there at the audition and uh, bring it down, bring it down. No, no, he says, bring it up. You, you, were, you were too too small, too subtle. Bring it up for this audition, you know, a little over the top, but it's okay. And then when we do the movie, I'll bring you down again, okay? But, you know, just so you can go that. I thought, screw you. Uh, when I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't come in and, you know, it's bullshit. I don't do over the top. I don't do up. I do under. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. You were there for the audition. That's why you're telling me to bring it up. I don't do that. So when I went in, I just did it my way. No, I didn't get the part. And I was fine with it. See, that's the difference. I was fine with it. I did what I could do best. Mm-hmm. And what he wanted me to do, I was not, not, my, not my thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, I, I, in other words, I'll own what I, what I do. I'll own it. I, and I'll totally. So I, I have to do it my way. Now, I miss a lot of jobs, but I get really cool jobs, too. By, by, you have oh, had a lot of really cool jobs. Yeah. A lot. Yes. I mean, last time you were here, uh, and that's episode 540, for those people who want to look it up. Last time you were here, we talked mainly, I think, focused on your film career. But, man, your television career, I didn't even... Well, uh, starting at the beginning, in the 60s, was that a goal of yours, to be on television? I never, to this day, to this conversation, ever wanted to be an actor. Really? Ever. Wow. Furthest thing from my mind. Because I know you I started with the I, uh, improv stuff. That came. That came later. That one. That was once I committed. I went to college for to be an industrial designer. I'm. I'm an artist. That's my painting. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Sure. Sure. So uh, I went to industrial design. I was an A student. Uh, you know. Uh, and uh, when I graduated on the the day of graduation from Syracuse University Industrial Design Department, I said, no, never mind. This is not where I'm going. I went to college because my parents wanted me to go to college for a career as an industrial designer because I could draw a lot. Uh, but I told them, I said, don't come up to graduation. I'm not going. You know, they're going to wow. drive up from Long Island. Oh yeah, man! I uh, I've I've lived my life the way I've wanted to. You have <laughs> all the way, yeah. No, I can brag about that, but you know, there's there's dues to pay. You just can't live your life the way you want to and think you're going to get away with it. Did you, you know, do any acting classes in college and everything? Or nothing ever, ever, ever. You- I graduated college and I said to my friend uh, Carl Gottlieb, who wrote Jaws and all those other yep. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was my best friend in Syracuse. We hung out together. So on my graduation uh, day, you know, and I said, "Hey, Carl, we're, we're, what are you going to do when you graduate? We graduated at the same time. What are you going to do? You know, where where are you going now?" He says, "I'm going to Greenwich Village. I'm going to be a writer." He wanted to be a writer right from the get go of all his life. 
So he said, I'm going to Greenwich Village. And I said, how would you like a roommate? And he goes, yeah, sure. Great. Let's get a roommate thing going. Okay. So we got a, he went to Greenwich Village and I just followed him. You know, I went, I went home from, from Syracuse. I went home and I got in a big barroom brawl, a knockdown fight. Uh, my, my shoulder was dislocated. I, oh, wow. Yeah, it was a, I needed I needed to go to the to the emergency ward. I, uh, I got the I got the worst of it, but I I got even, <laughs> so it, it worked out fine. Uh, but at the time, I was beat up so bad that my my parents drove up anyway, even though I told them, "Don't drive up. I'm not going to graduate." I'm I meant I'm not going to go to the graduation. Sure, sure. Right, right, Terrible. right. You still got your diploma. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know how I got it. They probably mailed it to Mailed them. it or something. I know, <laughs> you know. So I, I, I didn't. I said, well, I didn't want to, my parents to see me because I was really black and blue, you know, and, and I couldn't use this on. So I told them, I said, well, I'm not going. I'll meet you afterwards. And then afterwards, I I, I, mean, I was beat up. So I said, I'm going to get a ride home. You go home without me. Which, I mean, that's like a crazy thing to tell your parents. They don't know what's going on. He won't even come to see us. We've driven all the way up, I don't know, 400 miles or something. I don't know, from far Rockaway, Long Island, all the way up to Syracuse. And then I sent them home and I didn't even say, they never saw me because I didn't wow. want them to see me. I was like, bad. Uh, so, I went to Greenwich Village with Carl Gottlieb, and I uh, bust uh, bars uh, after uh, last call from two a.m. to six a.m. That that's what I gave up going to Detroit for you know an amazing amount of money to be an industrial designer. And then I had nothing to do, so I would go to these coffee houses, these uh, open mic nights, coffee houses in Greenwich Village. We lived in Greenwich Village. So, you know, until 2 a.m., I could just see all these coffee shop things. That's where I hung out. And I thought, I can do that. I'm a funny guy. And that's how I got into show business. I got up on stage and I I got laughs. So, okay, I'm a stand-up comedian now. Boom! And I was passing the hat and then I got booked. And then I was opening for Woody Allen. And that mm-hmm. was cool. And I started making money and I was in show business. Bing, bang. There you go. Six months. Was it, was it a different transition from working on stage doing that to working in television oh man yeah i mean it's just one learning experience after another i mean i just i was getting tired of learning the new jargon and the new rules uh you know for stand-up comedy and then uh the different clubs you have to find your own club because i was opening for woody because that was my manager we both had the same manager and his audience is not my audience. You know, my audience is Richie Pryor's audience, George Carl, you know, right. Bill Burr, Joey Coy. So that was, you know, who I was going for, the college crowd. And Woody was, no, was middle class, white white bread, you know, mayonnaise. And so I, I, I couldn't open for him anymore because I wasn't going over well. At, at first... That was fine because he was beginning, I was beginning. We both had the same audience. But as he gained purchase in his industry, becoming uh. a stand-up comedian, doing television, and I, I had no television material. 
you know, I, I didn't, I was cursing and, and, and I wasn't doing drugs, but I was talking about them a lot because I was surrounded by it. I was hanging around with mm -hmm. all the musicians and I just wasn't curious. It wasn't that I didn't want to do it. I just, no, you know, go ahead and smoke it. So I was around it. Obviously I was getting contact highs, but I didn't smoke anything, but I was doing the, the, the humor and you couldn't do that on television. So he started to rise and I was still opening for him and I could see that his audience and mine were just going. So you have to find your own audience. And that, that was a new learning experience then another learning step in the comedy thing. And then finally I got to the Midwest touring opening for, you know, uh, Ian and Sylvia and the Kingston Trio and uh, just a, you know, a lot of stars, you know, uh, nightclub stuff. Sure. But you get to the Midwest and then the the, the drug stuff stops again. Then <laughs> no, then I was then cops were pulling me off the stage. Then the Lenny Bruce stuff, and so I called um, my manager Jack Rollins, Woody's manager. I said, look, man, I can't do this. this is no fun. Cops are pulling me off the stage. I just want to make people laugh. I don't know what the hell their issue is. You know, I'm just talking street. I mean, Lenny talked street. They, he wasn't cursing on stage. He was talking like real people talk when they are not on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I saw him in person a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was copying him. I mean, I, I thought he was funny. The man was funny, man. He was a born storyteller. I mean, he could have made, you know, um, Ali Oop and Una laugh. I mean, he could, yeah, he could. Of course. He, he could just stand around the campfire, you know, and everybody else is putting handprints on the wall and he's telling jokes around the fire. Uh, so I called and I said, look, I can't do this anymore. It, it, the cops are just getting in the way. So he said, well, join Second City. So then I got improv. Then I joined Second City or auditioned for that. So then I had to learn improv. So you have to go to school for six months. Uh, Second City, they teach you how to improvise. You, know, oh, yeah. you have to learn. I did that uh, when I was in a, Los Angeles. A process. Excuse me? I did that when I was in Los Angeles. Well, I studied. I stu oh, I studied with a few different folks. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was wonderful. I was right there over off of melrose at their campus yeah there. yeah right melrose i was there uh, 2000 2001 oh well okay yeah i'm talking a lot about a lot earlier you were there a lot earlier <laughs> you were no, there in Chicago, which is no, amazing 70s or 80s yeah so anyway um uh it, it was really hard making the, the the improv and then when i got to the committee and we opened an improv theater like second city because we were all from Second City. We opened a theater there. And then uh, the Hollywood people, the television and movies started to fly up and watch us. So now I have going down there and learning movies, how to be a, a, a camera person and repeat it over and do takes and not in any order. There was that you can shoot it out of order. And it was just little small sections that you, and I had to learn that. So it's just a constant dropping one life and starting another kind of ruled life you know no you don't do it that way you do it this way 
Plus, uh, so, plus in that in film and TV, you're playing characters. You're not playing yourself, right? So, well, it, but in, in improv, you're playing characters, instant characters. Gotcha. Right. So gotcha. In, in, in comedy, you're playing yourself in stand up. In improv, you're playing characters. And then in, in movies and television, you're playing characters with depth. There's a backstory. In right. improv, there's no backstory. Doctor, boom. Any doctor, boom, you're a doctor. <laughs> You know, but in in movies, you have to be a particular doctor. So you have to do a little more homework. And then you have to learn lines. Improv, I didn't have to learn diddly squat. You know, you come in, you, your day is your own. You walk and you can act in your street clothes. You don't matter. You just walk off. Hey, I'll be right back. I got to do a show for an hour and a half. Goodbye. Boom, on the stage. Improv, you make it all up. You do it again the next night, you remember what you did the last night. How or why, I don't know. It's a mystery, but it's there. And did for you, everybody. I mean, it's did, not just me. It's If you go to improv school, you can do it the same the next night, and you don't have to remember. It's weird. There's part of your brain that's just for improv acting. Did you, <laughs> end, up, did you end up building up any characters when you were in improv and such? Uh, what, just just one. I had a Murray Burns who was like a universal character, and it was my uncle, really, you know. And, and he was a New Yorker, you know, so he he could say Dems and does and ain't and, you know. Uh, so he was Murray Burns was my universal character. If I didn't know what to, what I was doing, the doctor would have mysteriously a New York accent. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah, so I did that, and then you go down to Hollywood, and no, now you have to have depth. You can't just, you know, just pick out a character and just do it, you know, because other characters, other actors who don't know about improv, well, maybe they do, but it's different. Act, improv acting, improv and acting is different than improv and improv. For sure. About. Yeah. One is you go for a different... The intent is different, I guess. Uh, intent is a big word now, so I use it as, as much as I can. Uh, it's the we'll hot make a note of the day. It's the hot yeah. word of the day. We'll yeah. make sure we hashtag that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, and then finally I just gave up with the backstory and the memorization. You know, I'm dyslexic, so it got harder and harder for me to memorize lines because the parts mm. got bigger and bigger. You know, it gets harder and harder. So, I thought writing, cool. I'll be a writer. <laughs> and then I can go back on the stage and be a stand-up comedian again. So full circle. The um like I said, the uh, your television career is so huge. Uh like I said, seven decades. Is there any in particular uh, shows or crews that you worked with that is are you feel is special or stand out for you? Well, the one that I wanted to do, and, and the only time I ever wanted to do a, a part, you know, oh, I got to get that part, was to do Tom Pepper, you know, to do Kramer, because he was such an icon at the time. Oh, right. And I thought, wow, man, if I could do, if I could pull that off, I want to see if I could pull it off. I mean, it was just a dare. That was all. I mean, it had nothing to do with salary or show, or I just wanted to do an icon and see if I could pull it off and not have people boo me off the stage or oh, sure. you know, come <laughs> punch me when they saw me on the street. You didn't do Kramer right. Boom. Uh, 
that that happens if you don't do it right. Fans get uh, get feisty, you know. So I did that. That was the the one that I I, I loved doing because the, the the most proud I am of what I did. Uh, that that's one because I I wanted to copy. I wanted to get him down. I wanted to be able to do it and have the fans know that I was doing Kramer. And and that's what I did, and that's what happened. And the fans all, oh man, you did a great Kramer. Oh, thank you. That's what I wanted to do. But the one that I is secret, nobody knows about it, is in uh, what was it? Um, Star Chamber. I don't know if you know the movie with uh, yeah, oh, yeah sure. Name? Douglas Michael Douglas. Uh, Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So Star Chamber. I played an undercover cop. So I played a street cop, and. Um, Michael even Michael Douglas even complimented me on my acting on that one, but um, I just played a street cop, and I just I don't know when I watched the movie, I thought, "Wow, man, I nailed that guy so perfectly." I mean, I was doing what I wanted to do, and I had a little backstory for it, and and you know, I'm not an actor. I never wanted to be an actor. I just do it out of instinct. I've never studied acting. Improv mm-hmm. was the only acting I had. But I want to really do a good job, you know. I mean, I guess I always do. I, I just wanted, but him, I don't know. I had a, a a liking for that character. I just had an attachment. And when I watched the movie, I thought, man, okay, I complimented me. I said, mm-hmm. Larry, okay, you you did good. You know, you focused and hit all the points, and great. Uh, and the lines were real. When I said something, I believed it wasn't me; it was that guy. So that that that's the scene. But nobody ever talks about it. It's an obscure movie, and not many people have seen it. But I that's that's the best I can do. So those are those would be the two standout. Now, the best job I've ever done in total is in uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Right, right. That's yeah, we talked about that last time. time you were here. Yeah, that that's just. Uh, an arc of a character that's just beautiful. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I had nothing to do with that. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought the best I could do here, because that was the first big movie I've ever done. And it was Mm -hmm. with Clint Eastwood and uh, Don Siegel. I mean, they were two stars. I I just held them in awe. So I had to to get that out of my system, the awe-ness. I had to just focus on that character. And that character was such a a dweeb, a nerd. Uh, he just didn't want to get, he just didn't want to be anybody's girlfriend in prison. That, that was my backstory. That was what I had in mind. And that char- that's how the character was written. I didn't know it. I mean, I just mm-hmm. assumed it from the writing. Uh, so I didn't, so I thought, well, I, I hold Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood in such awe because they're such big stars. Let me use that. So I hung around. I followed Clint Eastwood around the entire three months. Wherever he went, I would just, you know, not, not on camera, you know, I just would follow him around. Just to hang out with him, just to see how other people related to him, you know, the honest. Mm-hmm. The, the, the other extras would sit around and ask him questions. He ate with the with with the extras Clint. Oh, wow. yeah he, he only hate with that so i always sat at clint's table with the other extras and heard their their talk just because 
my idea for Charlie Butts was he didn't want to be anybody's girlfriend. And this was the guy who was going to protect me. So I, I, that was the awe thing. Clint Eastwood. Right, right. His character. So I kept that. Uh, and, and it worked. It, it just worked. But I didn't know if I was doing a good job or not. I, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't much into acting. I was just trying to not drown. I was trying to not drown. I mean, mm-hmm. I was surrounded by actors. Yeah. yeah Mick, Mick, uh, Mick uh, uh, you know, the, the warden. He was a big time actor, too. He had his mm-hmm. own series at the time or right before that. So, yeah. So I, I just and, and Don Siegel would put me on all the time. I mean, he liked me. He he saw that I was totally naive. I didn't know what was going on. Sure, I mean, he's sure. Not the first. So he just he liked me, and he 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 put me in the movie more and more because I, I would always show up. In the three months, I only think I I missed maybe five days in the three months of not showing up. Even when I didn't have to work, I would mm-hmm. show up in costume and just hang around. I just wanted to see what movies were made. I just wanted to hang around with Clint. I want to hang around with Don Siegel. I wanted to watch. I just wanted to be there. And anyway, I, the committee was in San Francisco. They were still on. And I was acting in a big time movie on Alcatraz in the Bay. Mm, right. So, you know, I graduated to <laughs> offshore. I had made the big time. Went all the way down to Hollywood, got a job, came back on Alcatraz Island while the committee was still working, you know, with other people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, so those are those are the top three, I guess, of, of just most. Jobs. It seems like most of your shows and appearances are um, like one and dones. Um, but it looks like you actually on on Friends you had a recurring character over and over again. Uh, that looks like that was the first time that happened. I yeah, I could be wrong about that. But was that yeah, a different yeah, yeah. thing? Was that a different that was thing? Totally like, oh, different I gotta... because because I, I mean, though he that's the most popular character I've ever done. I mean, hands down, that mm-hmm. everybody, ah, Mr. Heckles. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to, I just, uh, it was a good part. It was well-written, you know, and I I was just doing, and Friends was huge. Yeah. I was there before they went on. I was there five times and it was once a year for four years. And then I did Mm -hmm. the fourth year I did two. But I did, you know, the first year, first year, second year, third year, fourth and fifth year. So uh, fourth, fourth year. So I had done three. I had done four. And if you do six, uh, you're you're a regular, or you're re, you're recurring. Gotcha. And you got a huge boost in in salary. So I did five. I figured, you know, they're going to do six. And I would be famous and rich. And, th- and then he, I had a heart attack because Chandler oh, no. needed a, 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 an apartment. They had written oh, Chandler right, out. Right, right. They had written Chandler out not thinking, well, he's a regular. How do you write out a regular? But they didn't even think about it. They just wrote him out on in one uh, episode. And then Mr. Heckles came on and they gave him the apartment across from the friend's apartment. 
So they gave me a heart attack so that, oh my God, we got to get Chandler back on the show. He uh, Heckles gets a heart attack. <laughs> Move Chandler in there. He's right across the hall. He can come in every week. Okay, done and done. So I was really pissed. Hmm, I'm really sure. <laughs> one episode one show, away. One show, one one episode show. Away. you couldn't give me one show. Larry, which one are you more recognized for, Seinfeld or for Friends? Do people like on the street? Yeah, uh, uh, fr friends, e easily. But Seinfeld is is the next, and then Breaking Bad. Sure. Right. Seinfeld right. is. Seinfeld is. My, Seinfeld and Breaking Bad, Bad is my audience. Friends is another audience I don't know anything about. Their daughters and moms are friends mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. come up to me. No, no man has ever come up to me and said, "Hey, Mr. Heckle." Never, never have. <laughs> <laughs> no woman has ever come up to me and say, "Hey, uh, Kramer, uh, Breaking Bad." No woman has ever said that to me. Sure. So it's two different audiences. Two, two different camps. And I right? brought them together. So when I sell the book, I'm trying to sell it two completely different, you know, mindsets. It's really weird. Let me let me ask you about the book. Do you, how do you ever decide? Like I said, your career is so extensive. Your experience is so huge. Like, how did you decide? Like, how, why is the book? Like, the book must be like a thousand pages. How did you narrow down focus on the book? It's two hundred and it's two hundred and seventy four pages. See, that seems too short. That seems too short. Wow, you want more? Wow, I got to write the book then. Yeah, I see. I see. No, so no, this, uh, is volume, this is volume one. We're your well, built-in audience. Maybe. What do you mean? It's this like you know, Bob Dylan. He wrote a uh, a biography, an autobiography. There's a difference between a memoir and a biography. In a biography, you can be sued. In a memoir, you can't be sued. Memoir is a remembrance. So they can't sue you for remembering wrong. The only rule gotcha. for memoir is it has to be first person all the way through. You can't say, gotcha. I heard about a God. You can't say that. The guy can sue you. But if I uh, say, I, I met a guy, yes, yeah, he doesn't, you know, no, no permission. It has to be first person all the way. What you saw, your memory of this reality uh so he wrote an autobiography bob dylan and he said a uh, part one so now everybody's <laughs> waiting for part two three or whatever right. so he, he that's very cool very clever part one so yeah this is part one but i never thought of it that way now the reason it's so short is it's a memoir and it's only what i no research it's what i remember and gotcha. what I, and, I, and i just get up on stage and talk about well, when I was on Friends, this happened. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I recorded. And then that's what I wrote down. So it's all it's all verbatim my memory of what happened. So you can't write a long biography because th there's too many things that you remember. I don't remember. <laughs> like, well, yeah, no, I, I, I feel like, I feel like the longer I go, like, it's going to go from like a 500 page book. Oh, to I see. A, yeah. Yeah. A, a yeah, pamphlet, yeah, right. right? <laughs> so I, I, you know, I only remembered, and you one can only remember that which affects you in some emotional way. You don't remember every goddamn thing in your entire life that you ever did. I mean, if you go to a psychiatrist, maybe he can bring that stuff up. 
but you're, it's not you can't you're not in touch with it but the stuff you are in touch with is stuff that happened where some emotional connection was made you know i met my wife there or something like that you know or or i nearly died because of and then you remember that so that's why it's so short it's memory it's memories that yes yeah, something happened and i remembered and you just get it down and it's just concise because mm-hmm. you know when you tell a story you got to concise it right right you call it, did you, did, you, gotta, did you have a do you have an editor help you with that too or yes yeah yeah uh, I couldn't have done it without an editor. In other words, he would say, well, you don't need this. Or, mm. Well, what he would do is I recorded it. All, okay. All my memories, the entire, you know, in sections, you know, when I could. Gotcha. Uh, and then I would send it to a guy, and there's an app you can get on Microsoft, uh, which will type it out. Mm. You, feed, you feed the sound in. I mean, the digital is just amazing. And it <laughs> types it out, man, on a page. Just like you type, what type of it? So I sent it to him. He had the app, his friend, um, and uh, Doug Dietzhold, if anybody wants to know, he's great. Lives on in the East Coast somewhere. Uh, and so I sent it to him. He would type out whatever I recorded, and then I would rewrite the recording, the the typed out thing, you know, because reading is different than listening. Yep, absolutely. You know? so, so I would tighten it and adjust it. And cross that. So we worked back and forth like that. And that's how I got the book. But that's why it's only 274 pages. But it's it's steely. It's tight. <laughs> it's tight, man. Absolutely. It's absolutely just the right stuff, you know, and no extra words. You know, uh, thank you, Ernest Hemingway. No extra words. Just no extra words. Did uh, Are you doing an audio version as well? Well, that's what I want to do. I told the publisher, uh, which is a Bear Manor Media. I told him, I said, hey, man, I want to do Because that's where the money is, the recordings. I don't, I, hey, I'll tell you something you don't know. Because I had to learn book stuff. That was another. Then when I got a, all the movie stuff, now I have to learn book jargon and galley right. prints and drop. <laughs> when we're going to drop it. And all this stuff. So um, now, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I had to learn all, all that jargon. So now when the book comes out, yeah, I, I just, there's a lag time of, it, sometimes it takes a year for a book to come out. I mean, that's oh, sure. crazy. I could sure. be dead mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's crazy, but no way around it. Unless you get the right publisher. There's some publishers who will publish it when you want or, or around the time you want. But I say, so I think there's only two times in the beginning of the year, the end of the year or the end of the year. Mm. That's it. You either, if you get it in, in the beginning of the year, you can get it out in the next three to four months. But if you miss that beginning January, February opening and you go March or the end of February, you got to wait until September, October before it comes out. I mean, it's crazy. Like, yeah. So I told him, I said, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to die by then. You can't. No, I won't do that. I know. I, I, so I pulled the book. Oh, they were really? going to do it by September. They were going to publish it in some, sometime in September. So I just said, no, give me the book back. I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm perfectly healthy. I, I, yeah, I man. Bit, you know, uh, that's the, 
But I told them, I told them how old I was. So when you have gray hair, people, you know, whoa, he's, he's old. Uh, no, I'm just older. That's all. I'm just older. Older, uh, so, yes. Oh, there's a big difference between old and older. Yeah. Uh, I told them I was, uh, yeah. So I said, no, you can't. Uh, I, I don't have that long to live, I said. <laughs> so, uh, and they bought it. So okay. then I went to another publisher and I said, look, when can you publish this? They said, well, by March. You got it. Let's do it. Boom. So, it, so it's going to drop soon. Yeah, in March, sometime in March, okay. maybe the end of February. I don't know, but yeah. So I, I just got the gal. I'm re- as we speak. I'm correcting the last final galley prints. You know, so once I make the changes here, that's it. Go. They put it to bed, and then they <laughs> uh, and then they drop it. <laughs> they drop it. <laughs> well. Well, we will definitely keep an eye out for it. Where, where should we go online to check the status well, of it? Probably at Amazon or any bookstore in America, okay. I guess. You know, but Amazon, okay. you know. Yeah. Can you play that thing? Uh, can you can you play that uh, 36 seconds? Absolutely. Sure. Oh, okay. is, we'll edit it in here. Oh, oh, oh you, no, you can't do it now because you have to edit this. Okay, no, right. never mind. Oh, yeah. I, I thought yeah. you were gonna play it now. Okay, no, cool. If we were we use, if we Never were mind. using our StreamYard, we'd be able to do it. But we, since we recorded on Zoom, it's a little more. Well, Zoom there. is cool. Zoom, yeah. Zoom is cool. I use we love Zoom. Zoom. They're our best friends. We it's love great. Zoom. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. But definitely. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and then I don't know what I'm gonna do after the book. I mean, maybe go back on the stage and do the book as a one man show. So it's mm-hmm. a different. Not only is it different jobs, different lives different things to learn different it's just different different lives different sure. iterations you know i mean i don't mm-hmm. just change a little i change a whole lifestyle it's amazing you know mm-hmm. i'd love to go see you do your your book live that would be amazing to do are you good it would. oh yeah yeah that would be it awesome would if be, you because i was pretty good i mean I, I was a pretty good stand-up guy i was opening for uh well, like I say, Kingston Trio and Ian and Sylvia and Dylan used to come to my shows. So, wow. that, so I got to be good. If if Dylan was coming, it's got to be good. It's got to yeah. be. Good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, so yeah, yeah. A lot of people used to come to my shows, and and it was something I loved doing because it was just storytelling. It was just me, you know, just my me telling my day or you know what happened last week. Uh, so it was, it was very um, up, uplifting for one. I've, I've never had that feeling since then of being a stand-up comedian on a stage in front of uh, you know a couple hundred people or sometimes two thousand people. I was opening for the, a lot of rock and roll shows, so mm-hmm. you know I would do arena shows, right? You know, right. and I mean it's it's so great. And those were even greater because it wasn't my responsibility. In other words, a love and spoonful would put, would, you know, pack an arena, and I would just open for them. You know, I <laughs> right. just did, you just, you just show up. <laughs> yeah, I just show up, and they were my audience. You know, a priori. You know, rock and roll. Uh, you know, college students. I was on, I went on tour with them. I did the tour. Yes. So you know, college. It was great. I no responsibilities. I just do my twenty minutes, you know, and then then cops started pulling me off the stage because the deans didn't like what I was saying. I was smoking, uh, pot. but I, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. I, I, I 
at that time I wasn't doing drugs yet. I was a late bloomer. So when I did the, the college tour, I wasn't doing drugs, but I was doing pot humor, mm -hmm. cursing and singing out shit and fucking stuff on stage. It, conversationally, not conversation. in conversationally, not in anger. <laughs> and uh, so the cops were pulling me off the stage and I called you know, uh, Jack, and I said, I can't do this. It's not fun. I mean, cops are just ruining my high, man. And they're ruining the audience's high, you know? They, what the hell? Cops? Why are they pulling him off the stage? I don't think the cops knew why they were pulling him off the stage, but the dean said, get him off the stage. He's The appellation that they said, this was a verbatim quote. Um, Filthy mouth comedian. Uh, that was what I was named. Uh, and and that was going to almost be the name of your book? No, no, no. But then, you know, a lot of people wouldn't buy it. The the, the uh, Friends crowd, the mothers. Oh, and the mothers right. Of course, of course, of course, yeah, of course. You got to see, you start, got to start a I think pro think proactively, you know. Mm -hmm. I was just going to fit into the big picture. How is it going to fit into the bigger picture? You know, uh, as, as Jack would say, yeah, but I would come, I would complain. I would say, yeah, but Woody Allen is doing television material and you're not putting me up on television. No, I say, Woody Allen is doing television. Why aren't you booking me on the Ed Sullivan show? Mm -hmm. Because Woody has television material. Woody doesn't curse. Woody doesn't do pot material. Woody does middle class mayonnaise humor. It works. When you and I didn't have television material, so he just said, you know, join. That's what he said. Look, Larry, join Second City. They're doing the same thing as Pryor and and uh, Carlin, but they own the theater, so cops can't get in. But they're doing the same material. Just mm -hmm. join Second City. So that's why I did, it. and that's why I got into improv. Yeah, and the rest is history. I think I might be able to do the video now. I figured out how to do it. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, so, let's oh, check he's it out. A, so he. Oh wow. Okay. Oh, there it is. There it is. Let's see what happens. Hold your hold <laughs> your breath. People this come is the up first. to me okay. and they say, "Are you that guy?" And I'm thinking, "Whoa, that's a great title for a book." Two words and you're finished. A book is like nine months. I mean, it's just too much. But they say, write what you know. I wrote it and then I read it. And it turns out that it's not just about that guy, which is a great title. It's about me. Who knew? Not me. So buy the book. Well, I mean, you know, buy the book, don't buy the book. The important thing is to rock on. So, you know, rock on, buy the book, rock on, don't buy the book. You see what I'm saying? Between me and you. If you rock on and buy the book, you're better off. Love it. That is awesome, man. <laughs> Were you guys able to hear it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. It worked. Oh, great. We did it. The wonders of Rock technology, on. folks. Rock on. Right? Lightsaber. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> thank, thank, you, you, thank you. Thank you. Well, it has been amazing having you join us again. Well, fine. Let's do it in, uh, for the next book, okay? Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I hope we yeah. get you on you before have to, that you have, again, to write, you have to write another book just so we can have you back on. Well, okay. Or you know, if you if you're stuck and one of your your guests gets sick, give me a call. Okay. Oh, really? I'll be awesome. here. I'll be right here. Dude, <laughs> okay. We would love that. That would okay. be awesome. Take, take it Look, easy. 
Uh, yeah, all right, fine. And we're going to sign off now. We're okay? going to sign off now, if that's cool with you. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no, I got to go. I got a meeting now. I got a meeting. We, everyone has a meeting nowadays. You know, it's like, I got a meeting, you got a meeting, he's got That's the only meeting. way I get out of the house. You got to oh, set up right. a meeting or I don't go out of the house. You know, it's crazy. The COVID thing ruined everything. Okay. So, so Larry, how can, people, later. how can people find yeah. you regularly? Do you have a website? Oh, uh, so there's two ways. You can do it uh, as a, the real LarryHankin.com. That's my website. And that's all my paintings and a lot of my films that I make my own self. And then, so that's the real LarryHankin.com. Or the, I, a couple of friends of mine, uh, The Three Geeks. That's, that's the name of the show, The Three Geeks mm, podcast. Wow. They're, they're opening a, my own channel. I'm going to have my own channel on, on Patreon. I don't know if you heard of Patreon. Oh, yeah, yeah. We know it well. Yeah, well, I'm going to have the Larry Hankin channel on Patreon. So they're doing it now. Uh, that's what we're talking about on the phone. They're in the Midwest somewhere. Uh, oh, awesome. Here on California. So the Patreon or the real LarryHankin.com. And you can get the book, I think, when it drops. Mm-hmm. Get that drops. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, drops. we'll let everybody know once. Uh, we will. Once, uh, so the, one of those two places or Amazon, you know, you always get it on Amazon. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Take, take it easy, guys. Great show. Thank you. For having Thank you, Larry. We'll Bye. see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye, Larry. Bye. All right. Awesome. That was awesome That's, to see Larry stop Larry's here. so he's, fun. He is always a nice guy to do and everything. And we got video to work on our video. This is awesome. That's a first. That's it a first. It is a first for Zoom. Oh, we are in so much trouble now, folks, since I know how to oh, do no. that now. Oh, yeah. We'll be dropping videos in all the time now. So, you know, yeah, yeah. we're going to be look taking out, this out, to the next look level. Out, look exactly. out, copyright lawyers. Oh, exactly. License Watch holders. Out. Yeah, we got to be careful with that. I know. I know. So. But it's going to be tons of fun to be able to drop certain things in all the time. You know, it'll be kind of cool. So that is our episode for tonight. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Mr. Mike, anything you want to shout out about, sir? Do I have something? Well, as always, of course, it's my pleasure. It's been great to talk to Larry again. He's just so fun. And he's done so much. We We could talk to him for another, like, five days, it feels like. Uh, so, um, he's great. Um, you know, and, uh, look, as uh, I'm just going to leave it with this, like, like Larry says, rock on. Rock on. Awesome. Speaking of rock on my shout out real quick. I've got to see an awesome concert on Friday, dudes. I got to go see Bruce Springsteen. It has been, and this is going to show my age a little bit. It's been over 30 years since I saw Springsteen last and he has not missed a beat. His band is bigger. The E Street Band is huge. And he's gone through a lot of changes. He's got a, gone through a lot of life experiences, as we all have. But it is, he puts on an amazing show. You know, I've joked about it and said I've seen, you know, a lot of throwback acts lately. And, you know, we've gone and seen Hall and Oates. We've gone to see Elton John. We've gone to see Billy Joel, you know, places, people like that. And, Springsteen is up getting up there in age. He's in his early 70s now. And he was one of the most amazing shows I have seen probably in at least 10 years. He did almost three hours straight. He didn't take breaks between songs. He didn't 
do you know breaks between you know he, his intermission was they took a bow then they turned on the lights and they kept on going and they played another six songs for their you know for their encore it was just amazing and it was a great great show to see it was crazy expensive to see i think it's the most i've ever spent on a single show to go see a concert but it was worth it to go singing along almost every song going enjoying it and he didn't have an opening band he started at 7 45 he walked off the stage at almost 10 40 and it was just amazing you know when we saw hall and oats they got lucky to play an hour you know and you know it's the same thing with a lot of those people you know and it's just it's a great great show even people half his age don't put on a show like this and it was just an amazing ton of fun so if you ever get a chance and you know want to go see bruce springsteen please it might not be everyone's cup of tea but it is an event it is an experience it was judy's first time seeing him and she was even blown away so it was it was a kind of a cool time to do it and brought back my youth so and that's hard to do nowadays so it's pretty cool <laughs> but as always thanks for listening to the earth station one podcast we couldn't do this without you we want to hear from you please write us anytime at feedback at earthstation1.com and you know remember you can find earth station one wherever fine podcasts are found and now like we've proven we have video and we got larry on the video today which is actually a ton of fun. We and have find... video inside video. Exactly. We're like going inception, full inception now. Exactly. So we'll have to see if the spinning top is somewhere around here. So it'll be a ton of fun. <laughs> Check out our YouTube channel. Please subscribe, like, and subscribe, as we always like to say. Please tell your friends about us. And you know what? On behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Gordon, it's always great to be here with you, my friend. And you know what? Larry Hankin, you're a gem. You're fantastic. Thank you for being here with us. And you know what? Thanks for listening. We will see you next time here on Earth Station One. Peace, folks, and we'll see you soon. Ciao. Welcome to a Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this Geek Girl is talking about the Harley Quinn animated show and a couple thoughts on some of the new announced DC projects. So I am way behind on checking out a few new shows, and one of those that's been on my list for a really, really long time has been the Harley Quinn animated show. I had some time this past weekend, and as a palate cleanse from watching the first two seasons of Narcos, I decided to watch Harley Quinn, and I absolutely love this show. The humor is fun, the characters are exactly how I would expect all of the villains to interact with each other in, like, the real world, and King Shark has to be my favorite so far. I also love when a show is set in a world of a superhero and does a really good job of making that superhero, in this case Batman, a fun background character. The banter between Batman and Commissioner Gordon is also pretty funny, but I also loved how they did Commissioner Gordon and Batman and Teen Titans Go, where they were just hilarious to me. I am excited that this show has a few seasons, and I can't wait to delve into all of them. DC has generally never done me wrong when it comes to animated or TV shows, so I knew I was going to like it, but I really love the humor, and so far the storyline. 
Also, while I'm talking about DC, I need to express just how excited I am over the DC announcements for the new TV shows, movies, and animated projects. I was thrilled and so excited about the Swamp Thing movie that was announced. And then the mention that it'll be a horror movie too? That makes me so happy. I was so sad when they canceled the Swamp Thing TV show because that show deserved all three seasons. It deserved them. So getting a horror Swamp Thing movie makes me incredibly happy. I'm also really excited for Creature Commandos and Waller, mostly because it had the mention of the Peacemaker team being a part of it, which we all know I love the Peacemaker TV show. I am really hopeful for some of these newly announced projects. I know a lot of people aren't happy with all that's going down at DC, but I'm actually really excited, so I guess we'll see. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Welcome to Earth Station Trek, a show that talks about Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. We cover topics like Star Trek versus reality. Did the board get better or worse? Finding the good in bad episodes. Pop culture in Trek. Star Trek pets. Vulcan romance. Religion in Trek. Umox for fun and pleasure. Kirk versus Picard. And why Cisco is better. Plus reviews of all the latest episodes. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform or the ESO Network. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the EarthStation1 podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.